The Black Effect presents Family Therapy, and I'm your host, Elliot Connie. Jay is the woman in this dynamic who is currently co-parenting two young boys with her former partner, David. David, he is a leader. He just don't want to leave me. But how do you lead a woman? How do you lead in a relationship? Like, what's the blueprint? David, you just asked the most important question. Listen to Family Therapy on the Black Effect Podcast Network, iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. My whole life, I've been told this one story about my family, about how my great-great-grandmother was killed by the mafia back in Sicily. I was never sure if it was true, so I decided to find out. And even though my Uncle Jimmy told me I'd only be making the vendetta worse, I'm going to Sicily anyway. Come to Italy with me to solve this 100-year-old murder mystery. Listen to The Sicilian Inheritance on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Get emotional with me, Radhi Devlukia, in my new podcast, A Really Good Cry. We're going to be talking with some of my best friends. I didn't know we were going to go there on this. (laughs) People that I admire. When we say listen to your body, really tune in to what's going on. Authors of books that have changed my life. Now you're talking about sympathy, which is different than empathy, right? Never forget, it's okay to cry as long as you make it a really good one. Listen to A Really Good Cry with Radhi Devlukia on the iHeartRadio app. Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hello, and welcome back to Movie Mike's Movie Podcast, your go-to source for all things movies. I'm your host, Movie Mike, and I actually don't have a new episode for you guys this week. I'm actually on my honeymoon right now, but I did want to play back a very special episode with my friend, mentor, and host of The Bobby Bones Show, the one and only Bobby Bones. But being the neurotic person that I am, I wanted to give you guys at least a little bit something new and something pretty big happened in the last week that I wanted to talk a little bit about, but also just give the kind of origin story of Bobby and I's work relationship, friendship, and now I was actually a part of his wedding. So, uh, of course, he's going to come on the show next week when we're back from vacation and talk about the wedding in detail. So I'm not going to tell any of his part of the wedding, but I will share a little bit as far as me being involved in it. And I want to go back to the very beginning of how I met Bobby. And if you're not familiar with my story, how I became a part of the show and how Bobby and I became friends, it actually all started with a message I sent him on MySpace. This was like 11 years ago. I was trying to start a podcast at the time and I had just moved to Austin, Texas from Waxahachie. I was going to college there. And I specifically remember the first time I ever heard Bobby on the radio. He used to be on Kiss FM back in Austin. And I was driving to class and I heard a conversation. It was Bobby talking about he had recently turned 30 or 31, the age I am now, which is kind of crazy. And he was saying he was beginning to think he was too old to wear a baseball hat backwards. And there was that whole debate they were having on the air. And I was just like, that was I've never really heard that on the radio before, a guy being really sincere and real. So from that very first conversation I heard, I kept listening to the show. And throughout listening to the show, I started hearing about these interns. And, you know, if you're a way, way back in the day listener, the show used to be really big on having interns. And they would get new ones with every class. And with the way they would talk about them on the air, they were basically a part of the show. If you could work your way up to like the head intern spot, you were basically a member of the show. And I heard all these 
college kids on the radio. And I was like, you know what? I kind of want to do that. And after listening to the show for a year, just being a listener, and then I also wanted to start my own podcast. So, you know what? I thought to myself, I'll message him on MySpace and see if he could just give me some advice on how to start one. He's been doing this forever. And podcasts were still relatively new at the time. This is 2010. They're nothing what they are like now. So I messaged him asking for some advice. Bobby messaged me back pretty quickly and said, you know what, just come up to the radio station, watch like 30 minutes of the show, and you can kind of see how we do it live. And, you know, that would be your notes. Take that back and start a podcast. So while I was there, I met the executive producer at the time, Elena, and I also met with all the interns there. And from that moment, I was like, you know what, this is what I want to do. I figured out how to get an internship. I did that for probably a year and a half to two years. I found a way just to stay there. And I think it was during that internship where Bobby was able to kind of see my work ethic. I was there all the time and he, he took note of that. He gave me more and more responsibility, the more I could take on and the more I kind of proved myself. And I remember specifically the day they said they were moving to Nashville and he sat me down and was like, we don't have a spot for you right now, but I'm going to send back for you and you will come to us in Nashville when there is a spot available for you. And I remember that and I believed him. And in my head, I always knew that I was going to be a part of the show. I just saw it in my, I wanted it so badly that I knew it was going to happen. And I believed his word. And it was through the show moving to Nashville me staying in Austin, and I still worked in the radio station. Bobby actually got me my first job there. I was running the show locally here while I was in Austin. And it was kind of through that time where I was there and they were here for the first few years that Bobby and I became more friends to the point where I kind of started this podcast on my Snapchat at the time. I would review things on Snapchat and Bobby would see them and actually be like, hey, send me that audio and I'll play it on our show. Like I was not a part of the main show in Nashville, but I was sending him bits in a way. So we kind of built our friendship there. And obviously every time they would come to Austin, we would still hang out until the day finally came where I moved to Nashville. And that was really where things kind of got real. I lived with him for the first few months living in Nashville. And we started to get really close as we started to work on the show and kind of build what the show is today. And it was mainly because he trusted me a lot and believed in me to give me a type of responsibility that no one's ever had before. And while this is all going on, I'm getting more things in my career. We also start traveling a lot together. And I mean, we went hard for probably like two years. We spent more time with each other than anybody else in our lives. We were going nonstop doing the radio show, comedy tours. He gave me a spot on his comedy tour opening up. I went from being only able to say I've been to like three states to now close to 40 something. And even though Bobby is like 11 years older than me, I felt like we kind of grew up together during that time. And it was mainly through us kind of being in the same point of our lives of like trying to find somebody, trying to find a relationship. And I remember having many conversations with him where he gave me guidance, where I listened to what he had going on in his personal life and trying to date. And I was there through a lot of it up until now. And even leading up to how both of our kind of lives have changed in the past two years of being in serious relationships. We got engaged within a week from each other, and then we both got married within a month from each other. It was crazy to see him actually get married and how we both kind of went from this life of utter chaos and not having anything consistent in our lives to now both being able to settle down with somebody who truly makes us both happy. And 
what I took away most from that day of his wedding was I've never seen him that happy. Like I've seen things that make him happy here and there, but nothing the way he is now. And as odd as it sounds, how human he appears now to be and just to be able to enjoy things is a big thing for him. And that's something I saw a lot on his wedding day. The look on his face was something I'd never really seen before to where he was completely living in the moment. And I can tell he was just overjoyed and said the word, I love you. That phrase so many times, it was amazing to hear. For a person who had never really said that to anybody in his life to now kind of go around and, you know, tell a bunch of people that the way he actually feels. And he asked me maybe six months or so ago to be a groomsman in his wedding. And it was kind of in that moment I realized how our relationship went from being an intern on the show to being a member of the show to becoming friends and him kind of also being at the same time my mentor and guiding me through all this stuff that in that moment I felt like I didn't realize we became family and not only everybody on the show but even you guys listening like I feel like a part of a different family that I didn't realize I had when I moved to Nashville I didn't know anybody I lived with Bobby and his dog Dusty at the time was like the first friend I made moving to Nashville and when he asked me to be a part of his wedding and then going on the bachelor party I felt something I never felt before of being a part of a group the whole time I was kind of like searching for somebody here and feeling like I didn't have friends and I didn't realize it. I had it the whole time. And it was standing up there as he's saying his vows, as he's getting married, that this all kind of set in with me. How sometimes you don't realize the relationships you're building and the things that you're doing are like really fundamental and are really kind of building onto the bigger picture you don't realize how much other people affect you and how much you kind of become a part of each other's lives. So it really meant a lot to me to be a part of that day, that he would consider me an essential part of his life to stand up there with him. And realizing now that he and Caitlin are probably going to be in my life for the entire time that I am living. So that, that just says a lot. I'm really happy for them. I'm also really happy that he's also on his honeymoon right now and able to take a break away from work and enjoy being married now. So all that to say, he's come a long way and I'm proud of him and happy for him. And I wanted to share this episode that we recorded last year talking about some of his favorite movies, the time he had a small role in a big Hollywood production and how much he made to be in a movie called Band Slam. So I will be back next week with a new episode. Also, if you're a listener of The Bobby Bone Show, we'll be back live next week. So if you haven't heard this episode, hope you enjoy it. I'll talk to you again soon. In a world where everyone and their mother has a podcast, one man stands to infiltrate the ears of listeners like never before in a movie podcast. A man with so much movie knowledge, he's basically like a walking IMDb with glasses. From the Nashville Podcast Network, this is Movie Mike's Movie Podcast. All right, joining me now on the podcast, we have Bobby Bones. Never heard of him. Never heard of this guy. I've never interviewed you before, so it'll be a bit different today. Well, I tend to uh, take it my own way, so feel free to stop me. But let me start by saying this. Okay. I started watching the movie about the Beastie Boys last night. Yeah. I know this is a movie podcast. Mm-hmm. I started it last night, too. I don't like how it, I don't like how they put it together. How it's a live show? I want a documentary of the Beastie Boys. Yeah, that got me a bit off from I, it. I, and, and I was trying to watch with Caitlin, and I would have been into it enough to sit through all of it like that, but that was a struggle for her. Mm-hmm. 
I just I don't like how it's formatted. Now I only watched again probably the, a sixth of it. Oh, that's it. Well, because she wasn't feeling it. Okay. She didn't know the guys on stage. I think if it were a documentary, a good documentary, you can watch without knowing anything personally about it. You can just jump in and go, well, I'm learning something. Yeah. But you kind of needed to know who those guys were when they're out. Because if you haven't seen it yet, you probably haven't, because I'm a big Beastie Boys fan, and I had it until last night. There, it's a, in a theater, and it's a live recording of the Beastie Boys showing pictures and telling stories of their life. Mm -hmm. Does it ever get more as a documentary, or does it stay like that the it whole time? It stays like that. I've watched an hour of it. And? It stays like that the whole time. And? I, I think it's still interesting, but yeah, like you said, it feels like you're not really getting the whole story because they're kind of just telling it. And unless you know them already, yeah. you don't feel it's connected. Like, oh, you could just go into this without knowing anything about them. And I love the Beastie Boys. One of the most influential musical groups of my life when it comes to how I modeled any of my career. N not just broadcasting, but the music I like, the music that I do kind of funny. And for a while, I was a, a funny hip-hop artist. And... You know, being a white kid and you see other white guys that were funny but could still be cool. So, uh, yeah, I, so I'm not through. I just wondered how you felt about that. Will you finish it, though? I will, but I won't with her. Okay. I'll probably finish it tonight. Did your girl watch it with you? Yeah, she liked it. She thought it was silly. Oh, but she liked... But she likes the Beastie Boys. She said her older brothers. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Well, that's all. That's my movie uh, topic that I brought in for discussion Okay, today, I like that. But I'm not all the way there yet. So um, I'll, I'll give you an update later. All right. So what I want to do is get to know you more through movies. So I guess I want to know your favorite movies from your life and like why they affected you and you call them your favorite movies. Well, it's interesting because I'm not a movie guy. Mm -hmm. As much as you are, this is as much as I'm not. Just, I mean, I guess I watch them, but I never really care to sit down for that long. Um, unless it was a true story. I could get more. It's like books. I can very much get into a nonfiction book because I feel like I'm learning. Even if it's not great, a great book, I still feel like I'm learning. I would compare all my media consumption for movies or books like to The, uh, the, the Queen. Is that the movie that, that shows on Netflix is called? The Queen. The Queen? The Crown. Yeah, The yeah. Crown. Thank you. Because it's kind of boring, but it's just good enough. But because you're learning, you stay in. Mm -hmm. That's how I kind of feel about my movies. So... I was thinking about this. My top three movies at number three is probably Bill and Ted's Excellent Adventure. Oh, interesting. Because, not something I would watch over and over again, but that, that's not a, my criteria for best movies. My criteria is stages of my life, movies that affected me the most, in what way? And Bill and Ted's Excellent Adventure was me for two reasons. One, because it was funny, but two, I learned something in it. Because in this movie, Bill and Ted are two idiot kids mm -hmm. who have to go back in time to create uh, uh, like a spoken report in a theater to pass. And if they don't get a grade or so, they fail out of school. I have to go to boarding school. I haven't seen it in so long. I'm, it's I'm been a while. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So what they do is they find this time machine with George Carlin and they go back through history and they meet all these famous people and Napoleon which I was like, okay, I know a little about Napoleon, but it made me want to learn more about Napoleon. Um, Socrates, who's also Socrates, <laughs> who I... So you learn about all these folks. Uh, Joan of Arc, Abraham Lincoln. As you're laughing, and it's a really stupid movie, I also felt myself learning. And that for the much, much of my life, until I was probably 19 or 20, was my favorite movie. I would just, that was it. That's the one I just stuck with. The movie came out in uh, 89. 
Dang. We were probably like nine. Did yeah. you watch it when it came out or did you watch it later like as a teenager? Probably when it came out to rent mm. because we really couldn't afford to go to the movies. That's true. Um, I went to, as a young kid, I would say 12 or below, I probably went to two movies. And it was, they were both, when my mom met my stepdad, he took me to watch The Babe with John Goodman because we were both big baseball fans and White Man Can't Jump. And enjoyed both of them, and they were sports movies, and that's really how we bonded was through sports. But I can't really remember going to any movie other than him taking me to my first movies at 12, and those were the two that I went to. I guess I was the same way because I remember I had a – I didn't go to the movies a lot as a kid, but I had a cousin who would get everything on VHS, and that's kind of where I got all me my too. movies from. Yeah. Like I'd be like, oh, yeah, all these movies I get to watch now? Yeah, we would go to on – because what would happen at the, the movie store, which was on the way to town, you could stop at the movie store, and you could rent a movie on Friday and pay the, the two ninety nine, and you'd get to keep it till Sunday. However, if you went in on Saturday and the movies were left over, because mm-hmm. Saturday wasn't a big, a big rental day because then you only got one day to keep it. Like Thursday was Friday, Wednesday was Thursday, but Friday was, you could bring it back Sunday. You got that extra day. Um, because it was the same movie, you got a half off. So if you went on, so we would go on a Saturday, see what was left, and we would rent movies from the you know dollar ninety nine or dollar twenty nine movie rental. You never got the big ones, but I, I'm positive that I saw Bill and Ted on VHS for the first time, and I watched it a lot as a kid. I think I ended up buying it, um, which was crazy because I don't think we had a VCR for a lot of time. But that's at number three, and I, that's really the only movie that I'm bringing in from childhood. So Bill and Ted's Excellent Adventure. That means Bill and Ted's two uh, was okay, wasn't that great. It was Bill and Ted, and the Grim Reaper was in it. Yeah. Like I don't remember. I remember being excited for it to come out, watch it on VHS, and it was like eh, it was okay. I still loved it was Bill and Ted, but they're they just made Bill and Ted three. Yeah. Hopefully they finished it. Do we well, know if they finished it? I think it was close to being finished, but it's obviously delayed to come out. Um. So that that number three, that number two. Well, this is where it kind of got tricky with me because, like, what movies just hit me the hardest, I guess, because I definitely wouldn't put down movies I've seen the most as my favorite movies because that would be something on TBS that I would stop. Hitch, I've probably seen, I've probably seen Hitch more than any movie just because it's been on so many times. So I took that out of my sort of list of things I needed to have my favorite movie. So then I go, okay, what movie just, when I finished it, I was like, oh. And it had two. Again, I'm gonna put them both at number two. But the one that almost made the list was her. Mm. It didn't make the list, but Great the other movie. one, the other one I'm gonna pick, it takes its spot. Is that movie when it finished? I went, dang, I felt that because her. Before I it, honorable mention, her is about a guy who just can't find love because he's odd. So he finds love with an outside, with we'll just say an outsider. That's really the the over art of the story. It's not so much that it's an operating system. That's a big part of it. But the real part of the story is guy doesn't fit in. He finds some other way to find somebody he loves. And it turns out it's a, you know, basically you're falling in love with uh, yeah. you know, <laughs> Safari on your computer. Um, and so if you look at it from, you know, above the forest instead of in the trees, it's a sad romantic story. If you look at it from in the trees, it's a weird old guy who falls in love with his computer. <laughs> Um, I loved her because when I turned it off, I was like, dang, I kind of felt that because I never fit in, never had girls. 
was always like, I'm going to have to fall in love with something or someone different. Um, but I watched that, and it was a great movie. I loved it. It's like you, you either loved that or hated that. Yeah. Did Spike Jones do that movie? He did. He who wrote did and directed Beast- it. Yeah. And he did the Beastie Boys documentary yeah. we're talking about. But what did he do? Because he there's a documentary. What did Spike Jones do? Buy a ticket and watch it in the theater? <laughs> I think he's like doing all the stage direction because they like call him out like during the they do? later on. Stage? Yeah. Okay, I must not have seen he's enough He's like hitting of the it. sound effects and like running the slides and all that. He put all that together. Okay. I was going to say stage direction. They just stand up and point <laughs> of pictures. Um, so her didn't make it, but this movie that gave me the same kind of feeling did, which was Eternal Sunshine of the Spotless Mind, mm. which is a Jim Carrey movie. And I'm not a big Jim Carrey guy, but I watched that movie and it was, would you eliminate all of these toxic, sad, unworthy feelings that you have accumulated? And, and with him, it was her, um, if you could. Like, would you, or would you keep them all and grow from it? And it didn't hit me on a romantic level, but it hit me on a personal level. It was like, dang, I've been through a bunch of crap in my life. Would I get rid of that? Or would I not? And, you know, I thought about it for a long time. Because that movie made me think about it for a long time. I still think about that based on the movie. I may, I may have only seen that movie once or twice. Wow. But I'm just going from the, the lasting feeling that it gave me when it finished. So number two is eternal sunshine of the spotless mind. Because of I still feel a scar from that movie. Like it cut me in the right way. And that scar is still there. You ever seen it? Yeah, I've seen it. I've probably watched it pretty recently, like maybe within the year. Really? And it's, I think it still holds up. Yeah. And I remember it kind of hit me like that too, that first line where he's like, he's sitting on like that train and that line he says about he falls in love with like any girl. I was like, dang, that kind of hit me pretty hard. See, I don't remember anything about it because I've only seen it once or twice. Yeah. And I don't know if it holds up. I almost don't want to watch it again because, and in the same way I, I never listened to my favorite interviews on, on the radio show. I don't want to remember it differently than I felt it, especially if I felt something that a feeling that was so distinct, like I can remember how I felt when the movie finished. So there are interviews in my career, uh, Kevin Smith early, uh, a John Mayer interview that we did, uh, my first time talking to Garth Brooks. I won't go back and look at or listen to it anyway because I don't want to look at it and go, oh, that's kind of stupid. I shouldn't have said that. Or same way with probably this movie, unless Mm. someone just wanted to see it, I don't want to go back and go like, this movie kind of is lame now. Like it didn't hold up that well. So that's why seeing a movie over and over doesn't have to fall into my category of my favorite movies. Now, I've probably seen old school 30 times. You know, if we look at movies and go old school, hitch, comedies you can kind of watch over and over. Yeah, they hold up a little bit better. Yeah, yeah. So that's number two. Do you have any questions about that one? I think I want to get to number one. Well, and I'm just not a Jim Carrey fan. I'm not a hater, but my top two movies are Jim Carrey movies. And really? Yeah. Listen. You like the serious Jim Carrey, though, right? Yeah, because you, you know what would be in the top five if I were doing top five would for sure be The Truman Show. Mm. It's not number one, but it's in that honorable mention because it's that you have to think outside of what you know, and then that's when it gets scary for people. It gets scary for me, too. Like, I know what I can see and touch and been taught, but what if there's something... That we have no idea. That's what Truman Show is. He has no idea he's part of a freaking team. He was born. They're watching him the whole time. He has no idea. He finally figures it out. Takes a big risk. Could die. You know? And if you don't look at it as here's a guy on a boat going at the end going like, here's a guy that's risking everything to go find out what's true. People have to do that on a much larger level a lot of times. Leaving their cultures. leaving. 
And so that movie hit me pretty hard. That would be in top five. But my number one, I have three Jim Carrey movies in my top five. <laughs> That's crazy. And I, I don't, I don't, not, a, I'm not an anti Jim Carrey guy. I just wouldn't think I'm a huge Jim Carrey guy. I guess I'm a huge, serious Jim Carrey guy, because Jim Carrey playing Andy Kaufman and Man on the Moon is my favorite movie ever, for a couple of reasons. One, I love Andy Kaufman. Not the funniest of performers. Andy Kaufman never set out to be the funniest. But Andy Kaufman, the performer who died when I was zero or one, wanted to be someone who was noticed, wanted to be someone who was always pushing it, even if people didn't like it. And I love, I didn't always love the bits that Andy Kaufman did. Some of them I thought were lame. But I think that that's pretty amazing that he would go out and try stuff that could bomb their face off and be like, well, that didn't work. What else can I do to see? I admired that about him as a performer. Um, and all the stuff highlighted that were, were, worked really great for him. The wrestling, mm-hmm. um, the, the having an opening act in front of him that was actually him. The Jerry then, Lawler fight. And then oh. later got, um, you know, he got one of his buddies in it too, his manager. So I loved Andy Kaufman. Now to make that story, because I was already such a big Andy Kaufman fan, but like history, it would be like somebody now loving, like a musician now who's 30 years old loving Johnny Cash. And like watching Johnny Cash documentaries. Mm. That, that's what it was like with Andy Kaufman because I knew I wanted to be, be a performer. I knew I was never going to be a straight stand-up because that was not the skill that I decided to pursue early on. I'm not particularly talented at writing jokes with punchlines. I think you're a far better writer of jokes than I am. But I knew I could go out, get on a stage, and perform doing whatever I needed to do. Some stand-up, sure. Some music, sure. Some improv, Absolutely. And some, even the jokes that I would do in my early attempts when I was touring at comedy, I just loved to make the audience feel awkward. I just, I loved that feeling of like the air being sucked out of the room. And I had a couple jokes that I would do. I don't do them anymore because I wrote them in my last book. But it was, you know, by the way, the, set, the, the setup is, you know, on Facebook, you get that thing, friends you may know. And it's like all these people that aren't your friends right now, but it goes, friends you may know, and all the pictures. And I did this little bit about Facebook, and I was like, you know, I just got one of those friends you may know uh, notifications, and it was my, my biological father. Um, the weird thing is, I don't. <laughs> and then I would just sit, and it was really uncomfortable. Sometimes. Sometimes it would be really uncomfortable. Some people would laugh, and I'd be like, this is a messed up audience. <laughs> sometimes you'd hear laughing. Some people wouldn't get it. It would just be weird. But I would just sit so long to let people figure it out. And then you'd hear some booze or... Uh, or, oh, come on, or groans. And I'd be like, all right, sorry, sorry, sorry. And I would follow that up with the joke. Fine, we'll do something, we'll break it up here. I'll, I'll do an impression. I'm not the best at impressions, <laughs> but I'm now going to do an impression of my biological father. And I'd walk off the stage and leave. And I would just sit on the side. You'd see me do it. Sometimes yeah. I'd sit out there longer than others. <laughs> and, like, oh. and the crowd didn't know how to react. <laughs> and I love, and I would love it when it would be the most uncomfortable. And, but... That's one, one one thousandth of what Andy Kaufman did, and you know he's kind of what inspired me. Even in my earliest radio days, early to mid, when we would do really uncomfortable stuff on the air, meaning we wanted to see reactions of people live. Um, but so I'm a big Andy Kaufman fan. For for someone to go into that movie and nail it like Jim Carrey did with a bit of his own spin, but I don't think he put that much on it because I think he also was a massive Andy Kaufman fan. Yeah. So he wanted to keep it as true as possible. 
for the movie to be good and written well, big, big deal. For Jim Carrey to nail it and for it just to come together, I thought, whoo, I was nervous watching it. Um, it's, it was, but it was so good. It meant everything that I wanted. It was somebody I already loved. It was a great story about him. And it was an actor nailing it. It was the three things you want. So that's my favorite movie because of that. I don't know that if Andy Kaufman wasn't someone that I admired and Jim Carrey didn't nail him, that I would feel that way about that movie. But I went into it going, loved it. I loved Howard Stern's private parts. Oh, yeah. Don't know if I never had known who Howard Stern was and he wasn't a big influence on how I do radio that I would have felt the way about them. I don't know. Maybe. It gets, people love it. But is it just people who love Stern? I love Howard Stern, but that's it. It's those three. It's number three, Bill and Ted's Excellent Adventure because of the funny and the learning. Mm-hmm. Number two, Jim Carrey and Eternal Sunshine at the Spotless Mind because it cut me and there's still a scar that I can see today. And then number one is Andy Kaufman, uh, Man on the Moon, Jim Carrey in that because he nailed the character. I love Andy Kaufman. It was a well-written story. And then it, it just had a perfect ending. A perfect ending for that movie and that story. And that's it. I'm Elliot Connie, and this is Family Therapy. My best hopes, I guess, identify the life that I want and, and work towards it. I never seen a man take care of my mother the way she needed to be taken care of. I get the impression that you don't feel like you've done everything right as a father. Is that true? That's true. And I'm not offended by that. Thank you for, for going through those things and thank you for overcoming them. Wow. Thank God for the limits. Every time I have like one of our sessions, our sessions be positive. It just keeps me going. I feel like my focus is redirected in a, in a different aspect of my life now. So, how'd we do today? We did good. The Black Effect presents Family Therapy. Listen now on the Black Effect Podcast Network, iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I never thought I'd take my three young kids to Sicily to solve a century-old mystery, but that's what I'm doing in my new podcast, The Sicilian Inheritance. Join us as we travel thousands of miles on the beautiful and crazy island of Sicily as I trace my roots back through a mystery for the ages and untangle clues within my family's origin story, which has morphed like a game of telephone through the generations. Was our family matriarch killed in a land deal gone wrong? Or was it by the Sicilian mafia? A lover's quarrel? Or was she, as my father believed, a witch? Listen to The Sicilian Inheritance on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Tamika D. Mallory. And it's your boy, my son, the general. And we are your host of TMI. New year, new name, new energy, but... Same old us. Oh, yeah. And catch us every Wednesday on the Black Effect Network, breaking down social and civil rights issues, pop culture, and politics in hopes of pushing our culture forward to make the world a better place for generations to come. But that's not all. We will also have special guests to add their thoughts on the topics, as well as break down different political issues with local activists in their community. If you like to be informed and to expand your thoughts, listen to TMI on the Black Effect Podcast Network, iHeartRadio app, 
Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. That's right. What I want to get into now, I think the arguments that we've, we've had some arguments, but I think this one's the biggest one we've ever had. And I want to get into it about the Marvel Universe. Cool with that? Yeah, now, I'm not a Marvel expert by any means. Okay. I don't know that, I haven't seen all the movies. I've seen all the Avengers. Mm-hmm. And not, I didn't rush to see them. So, you'll win this argument because I don't have enough history. I don't know the facts. Okay. I haven't seen, I've probably seen half of them. Okay, so go ahead, hit me with it. I'm going into this though. Okay. A little underweight. All right. Well, the thing is, I, I've had this idea of an episode that I'm going to do of retelling, instead of remaking a movie and rebooting a movie, you do a movie from a different perspective. So I was thinking of like, if you took the Avengers and switched it as Thanos is the good guy. Yes. And it's the Avengers trying to stop his plan. But you have a theory that Thanos is actually a good guy in the Avengers movies. Well, I, and I said this as soon as I finished the movie. I was like, wow, man, if you just tell the story on the other side of it, Thanos is not the bad guy. And people acted like I'd kicked their puppy, man. Mm-hmm. Because in the version we see, Thanos is the bad guy. Because we have a relationship with all the quote-unquote good characters. We know them. We know their backstories. Again, you can correct me on facts because I've only seen it once. Okay. <laughs> but I just think I remember Thanos went and destroyed a bunch of planets. Right? Yes. Killed lots of people Mm -hmm. to collect stones because once you have enough stones, you then have control of the universe. Control everything, yeah. Right. And the reason he wanted control of everything is because back on his planet, he saw it die Mm -hmm. because it was overpopulated. There weren't enough resources for everyone. And so not only did he see everybody die, he saw everybody struggling for a long time until they died. And so he goes, I don't want that to happen to the world. So he had to make the decision of, I would rather collect all the stones and eliminate half the people, and those people ha- have a real shot to thrive and keep the planets going than to not and let everything die by itself anyway. Now, I don't know that he was right or wrong, but ideologically, he has a point. Depending who's telling the story and what their situation is, it could be right from either side. I don't think Thanos was just a pure villain. And I think if you saw him growing up and why he had to make those decisions, because again, the core of his decision was he saw people dying and didn't want that to happen to everybody else. That's it. There's no, it gets no core, more core than that. He saw death and destruction and didn't want that for everybody. See, I could see that, but I think there's a point where he kind of turns and he ends up doing it out of spite rather than him trying to save people. And I think it's more becomes that he wants to have all the power and there's really nothing saying that by eliminating half the population that everything will be able to sustain itself. But there is saying that if you don't eliminate and there is an overpopulation, that nothing will sustain itself. But what if he took that power and doubled resources or something else like that and did it for created, good? Created a new planet? Yeah. Listen, I don't remember the whole story yeah. here. And what all I'm saying is at the core of Thanos, that's not a villain. Mm-hmm. He only did all of that because he saw death, sadness, poverty, that's why he did everything. Now, he may have made some wrong decisions amongst the way. It could have been, we all are polluted with different... I, I'm, I've been guilty of it too. I mean, killing people. But, <laughs> you know, as you grow, you have good things that come into you and bad, and you're trying to figure it out as you go. My only thing was, and I may not be right on all those facts. I haven't seen the movie but once. Is that Thanos, if shown from a different director, writer, yeah. he's a good guy. But 
that's just the killing part that messes with people. Yeah. But if you don't think every, all, all these countries are killing people for their own causes anyway, every country, they're all killing people for their own causes. Well, because then, then when he wanted to do an end game was... I don't, you're, now you're out of it. I don't even know. Okay. <laughs> I, I'm not even talking about the storylines. Okay. All I remember is going, huh, that Thanos is getting a bad rap here. <laughs> he was only doing all of this so everyone didn't suffer. He made the tough decision in his heart. He'd rather see some people die so some people could thrive rather than everybody die slowly. So right or wrong, I'm not on Team Thanos. <laughs> but I definitely didn't think he deserved to be the, the super villain that he was when the movie was out. And all I said, and it's, it's funny this is lasted because it gets brought to me all the time. All I said was, I don't think he's the villain if you tell that story from his side. I, but throughout history, you can tell the story from almost anyone's side that's the villain and they're the good guy. Mm -hmm. No villain ever thinks they're the bad guy, by the way. They're all fighting for, for a just cause in their mind. So, And the good guys are the ones that win. By the way, throughout history, the stories that we know of the good guys, we won. That's why, we, that's why we're here. That's why I think that Thanos is, was probably a bad dude by the end of it. Mm -hmm. But I don't, think he was a I don't think he was a villain for his cause. That's right. You've been you've been changed a little bit by this. Not, not a lot, not but you've been changed bit, a little, little bit. bit. Yeah. Okay. All right. Last thing I want to get into is I did an episode a couple weeks ago about one hit wonder actors, and you actually submitted yourself for band slam. Did I? Yeah. Was that on Instagram story? On Instagram oh. story. So people may not know, but back in two thousand nine, you were in a movie called Band Slam. So I had five questions for you about that movie. That was two thousand nine. Two thousand nine. I had that dopey hair at twenty nine years old. Yeah. <laughs> Holy crap. Wow, okay, go ahead. All right, so Band Slam 2009. Did you audition for it? Yeah. You did? I did. Man, I haven't thought about this since that. Wow, I did audition for that movie. What was that like? Someone called me and said, hey, they're doing this movie. They're shooting it in Austin because they can use the University of Texas theater and music. Mm -hmm. um, and it was cheaper to shoot movies in Texas at the time. Now Louisiana is a big hub for movies, or it was until recently. It's all about taxes, right? Mm -hmm. That's why a lot of stuff is in Canada, because yes. you can shoot it for less. Mm -hmm. So they were like, they're shooting this, in, but they have a, a role of a guy named Gordy, which was my name at first, who hosts the big competition. You have some lines. You're, you're, uh, it's like, at the time it was like 19 lines. It got cut way down to nine, I think, by the time it was over. But you have like 19 lines, but they need someone who's like, you know, in his 20s, and it's cool. And I was like, well, I'm in my not, 20s. <laughs> I'm not that cool. So uh, I went, and there was a long line wrapped around the building of guys that were good looking, like lots of hair gel, lots of the actor type. Yeah. Uh, and so I went in a pair of jeans and a white t shirt because I didn't know what I was doing. I, th I remember thinking I was going to be the only one at the audition because I thought they just had it ready for me. I was like, oh, I got invited to do this movie. And it was a bunch of people. And it was a bunch of people. <laughs> So I went into this room, this is just a room, like a bedroom at a house. And there were two people sitting behind a long table. And they were like, okay, read your lines. I didn't memorize mine. I guess most people did because I have my script in my hand. Mm -hmm. And so I was like, oh, can you believe they're going to play the show? You're this way? Man, they're never going to. And they were like, all right, thank you very much. And I left. That was it. I never thought I was going to get a call back because it didn't go well in the room, I thought. Yeah. Because they showed me no emotion, nothing. It was like, wow, that was great. They didn't say it was great or it was good. They were just like, all right, thanks a lot. All right, thanks. <laughs> and I walked in, I was like, dang, I must have really sucked. And they called me back and they said, hey, you're one of the, the, the best ones. Come back again. Went back again. I was the only person there the second time. I think they, were, they just had to spread out a little more. 
And then I got a call and said, hey, you're in, and you're considered because you have the, this many, many lines, you're a principal actor. And so I had my own trailer. I, had, I was on the biggest level with the lowest amount of work and money. Wow. Like I was, if in the A-list part of that movie, it was Vanessa Hudgens, it was Lisa Kudrow, Phoebe from Friends, it was Scott, who was in Friday Night Lights. Yeah. I forgot Scott's last name. Um, so there were these actors, and of the A principals, I was the bottom of the barrel. But I was higher than all the extras and mids. So I had my own umbrella carrier to make sure my makeup wouldn't sweat. I had, nice. had on, got on my clothes. I had a trailer. It was crazy. I got paid three or $4,000 a day Oh wow! for about seven days. I remember making about $28,000, $29,000 on that movie for a week's work. That's pretty good. Yeah. It wasn't what they made, obviously. Yeah. But that's what I got. Do you uh, still get checks from it? Yeah, but it's like cents. Yeah, three cents, twelve cents. Sometimes I'll get a dollar ten or something like that. So that that was that movie. How many days did you actually film? Uh, a week. I mean, it was a week straight. I, the the thing that stunk was, again, I was a principal, so they kept us all together. We ate together, and again, I didn't know anybody because I wasn't a real actor. I didn't know any of them, so I, they didn't really let me in their cool group. And they would all pretty much all the principal actors would be like, "All right, we're gonna go play Super Nintendo, and we're gonna have this party." I was never invited to anything. Um, because they didn't know me. And I also had the radio show. So I did the radio show all morning and go straight over. So some of the bonding stuff, it was late at night. I couldn't go to anyway, but I never really got invited to do anything. Did you end up meeting all the co-stars? Mm-hmm. Yeah, and Lisa Kudrow was really nice. We sat in a makeup chair beside each other for like an hour one day, and she was super nice. It was really She played the mom on that, that movie. Yeah. Um, it was really the only time we spoke. But yeah, I met her. Vanessa Hudgens was okay. Um, the Scott... I don't show him his last name, but he was he was really nice. Are you surprised that it has an eighty-one percent rating on Rotten Tomatoes? It does. Yeah. Wow. Um, I'm I was surprised that it when it came out that it didn't make more at the box office because I don't think it did well. It made five million opening weekend and twelve million throughout the run while it was up. Okay, yeah. So you're talking about a movie that didn't do that well financially, yeah. but it kept getting shown everywhere. Mm-hmm. Every time I would see. Uh, like a weekend of rare, weird movies on Disney. They would be like showing movies. All It, it would pop up. That's where I first saw it. I saw it on TV. And I would get checks. on. It, it would air on TBS. It would, mm-hmm. For some reason, it still airs now occasionally because people keep sending me pictures of me with my big curly hair. Yeah, sometimes movie channels will repick it back up and put it into rotation, which sometimes people say like these movies bomb, but they end up making money back when they get put into syndication and stuff like that. Well, this was no big financial risk for... Uh, the movie makers. Yeah. I mean, for making a movie, it was expensive, I'm sure. But I'm saying it wasn't like a $100 million movie. It was $20 million. It wasn't Waterworld. <laughs> yeah. Um, so, yeah, that, that was fun. I forgot. Man, it's been a long time. And then, um, would you ever do another movie? It's just the time. You have to be on set and shoot things 10, 11, 12 times. Um, sure. It would be tough to do it right now. But I could if it was the right role do you get offered stuff some small stuff yeah but i don't put myself in the mix for it either you mostly have to audition even some of the big actors have to go and audition for stuff yeah and i so i don't get offered stuff no as far as movies that people would see but i do get offered to go audition for stuff and i just never want to go do it the only things i get offered are like super indie type stuff and they just want anyone to be in it that will promote it so that's like hey let's goodbye real because if he talks about it people may see it so the answer is no, not really. 
All right. Well, there we go. I'm a big movie star. <laughs> big Is, movie am, star. am I your first movie star? You're my first podcast? movie star ever. Yes. First actor. Nice. All right. Well, thanks for hanging out, man. Yeah. All right. We'll talk to you later. The Black Effect presents Family Therapy, and I'm your host, Elia Connie. Jay is the woman in this dynamic who is currently co-parenting two young boys with her former partner, David. David, he is a leader. He just don't want to leave me. But how do you lead a woman? How do you lead in a relationship? Like, what's the blueprint? David, you just asked the most important question. Listen to Family Therapy on the Black Effect Podcast Network, iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. My whole life, I've been told this one story about my family, about how my great-great-grandmother was killed by the mafia back in Sicily. I was never sure if it was true, so I decided to find out. And even though my Uncle Jimmy told me I'd only be making the vendetta worse, I'm going to Sicily anyway. Come to Italy with me to solve this 100-year-old murder mystery. Listen to The Sicilian Inheritance on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Tamika D. Mallory. And it's your boy, my son, the general. And we are your hosts of TMI. And catch us every Wednesday on the Black Effect Network, breaking down social and civil rights issues, pop culture, and politics in hopes of pushing our culture forward to make the world a better place for generations to come. Listen to TMI on the Black Effect Podcast Network, iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. That's right. That's right.